But amen. Hey, I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, it's going to be a little bit different than normal. J.J. Uh, Jasper is going to be with us this morning. We had an awesome time in the first service. Uh, he's going to share God's word with us. I'm super excited about that. Hey, if you have your Bible, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 7. That's where he's going to be today. I want to talk to you a little bit before he comes and shares. First of all, I want you to know that he's part of this family. So he's, if you're part of this family, then he's part of your family. He'll share a little bit about that. But uh, we've been uh, knit together for over two decades. Uh, I have known him, watched him, loved him, admired him. Uh, God uses him. Many of you are familiar with him through American Family Radio every morning. He's uh, ministering to people all across the country and around the world. But really what makes J.J. special is the, the way he just loves Jesus. He loves Jesus, and it pours out of him into his love for his wife and his family, and he is an amazing dad. And I've just learned a lot from watching him love his children. I'm very appreciative for uh, the opportunity that to, to know him and to just watch him and Melanie raise their family, love their kids, love the Lord. It's a blessing for him to be here with us this morning. Now listen, he's going to be in Matthew chapter 7, and this is what I want you to realize and think about. We didn't come in here this morning. I mean, you're already here, right? So we're here. So why don't we, let's commit to make the most of this. We didn't come in here to hear some words or even to read some words or to hear about some words that are on a page in a book in front of you. That's not why we're here. Those are not just words. And every week as I'm, uh, you know, praying and asking God, what is it that he wants me to say to you? And I'm, I'm studying the, the scripture and I'm seeing all of these things that, that I've either lived through in my own life or that I've lived through your lives. Just over and over and over and over. That's how I know that they're true. See, the way that I know that God is real is because of what he's done in my life and what I've seen him do in your lives. That's how we know. If, if I didn't live it and I didn't see it in your lives, if I'd never seen it in mine and I'd never seen it in anybody else, it would just be a book. But the way I know it's not a book is because the things that this book says are, are life. Now, Matthew chapter 7 is part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. You think, well, who cares? But this is what I was thinking about in the first service. God has always been. There's never been a time that God wasn't. So, so he's always been. So for all of eternity, God knew exactly what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to create the heavens and the earth. He knew that he was going to make it the way he made it. He knew that he was going to he was going to create man and woman and place them in the garden. He knew when he put the tree there what was going to happen. And he knew how he was going to respond to what happened in the garden. He knew that he was going to send his son. He wasn't reacting. Jesus wasn't a reaction to, uh-oh, there's a problem. What are we going to do? They didn't have, huddle up in the Trinity and go, all right, you know, let's paper, rock, scissors for who's going to have to fix this. God always knew. Before the foundation of the, the world, he knew he was going to slay his son for the redemption of people, right? Are you with me? He always knew that. So what does that mean? 
That means that for all of eternity, God knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what his role was going to be. And he knew that in the fullness of time, he was going to be born of a virgin. And he knew he was going to live a sinless life. And he knew there was going to come a moment. For all of eternity, he knew there was going to come a moment when what? He was going to preach his first sermon. The Sermon on the Mount has been brewing for all of eternity. And then God speaks. And these are the things he says. And the text you're going to look at this morning is part of what for all. God could have said anything, but this is what he said. Why did he say that? Because this is what we're, we, he knew we were going to live it. He knew, he only told us what we needed to know. And so I want in the back of your mind, as you're listening to what JJ is going to say, I want you to be thinking about these words and what, what hangs in the balance of what God is saying. Why is he saying this? What does he want me to know? They're not just words. Their life, their life. And so when you hear those words connected to a life, realize that's your life too and my life too. JJ, you come and I want to pray for you. And listen, you're going to enjoy it. And I'm telling you, they get jokes way better. I had such a great joke a couple weeks ago, first service, not a cricket. So I almost gave up and I gave them a shot at it. Man, they roared. It was so good. See? All them early risers, man, they're sleepy. But this group here, they're, they're perked up, rested. That hour didn't affect them a bit, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to come before your perfect and errant word. Thank you for your vessel. Thank you for the glorious, perfect work you've done in J.J.'s life. Thank you for the story of him and Melanie's family. Thank you. Thank you for the the absolute undeniable proof positive that you are a God who redeems all things. And you, and only you, can restore even that which the locusts have eaten away. And we're so grateful. We give you glory today. We're here to hear from you, to worship you. Holy Spirit, come, do your work as you see fit. We promise to give you all the glory, praise, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 JJ, you share. I love your pastor. <clears throat> what a remarkable man of character and integrity. Tony and Lisa, the entire family. It's great to be here. How many listen to American Family Radio? I expected you to look different than you do. <laughs> People don't look like they sound on the radio. Well, here it is in the deep south on the Gulf Coast. It's already springtime here, not so much across the country. So when you wake up and go out to get in your vehicle and you see that little greenish yellow dust on your vehicle, I have something for you. No pollen formed against you shall prosper. Prosper. <laughs> Clarendon 316. And then thinking about us losing that, I'm treating you like my morning radio audience. Thinking about the hour of sleep that we lost, daylight saving time. Oklahoma, Arizona, they were explaining to an elderly Indian chief 
about daylight saving time. So this this uh, Native American chief, after they explained day, daylight saving time, they asked for his response. They said, what do, you, what do you think about that? He said, only the government could cut a foot off the top of a blanket, sew it to the bottom of the blanket, and think they have a longer blanket. <laughs> kind of felt like that rolling out this morning. I'm thankful to be on the, the radio. John Riley and I, weekday mornings, American Family Association, American Family Radio. Thank you for your love and your prayers and your support. I appreciate Don Wildman, Tim Wildman, the Wildman family. And, and actually, uh, Gulfport, Michael Memorial has a very special place in my heart. I'm going to take you way back to October 1997. Some of you weren't even alive then. Share a little love story. I'd never heard of Gulfport. I couldn't find it on a map. And I came actually to Michael Memorial Baptist Church for a special event, October of 1997. And there was a radio promotion connected to that. WAOY had a radio promotion, and it was in Candy and Lowry's backyard. So I went to that, and I spotted this strawberry blonde who was godly and gorgeous. And Melanie and I hit it off, first time I'd ever laid eyes on her, at the end of our time together we were finishing each other's sentences, and I know it's cliche, but for lack of a better word, it was love at first sight. In fact, I went home and I called my best friend who he and his wife had been trying to get me hitched for about 10 years. I said, I just met the woman I'm going to marry. And he said, uh, well, tell me all about her. I said, I really don't know anything about her. I just met her. <clears throat> but she's amazing. Her family's amazing. And I wanted to call and tell you, so let the record reflect that I told you, you know, when it happened, Melanie called her best friend that night and said the same thing. Six months later, we got married. May the 2nd, hard to believe how fast time flies. May the 2nd, we are celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary. So I said, 25 years, that's a big deal. Let's go to Ireland. I'll take you to Ireland. We both have Irish heritage, or I'll take you to Paris. True story, Melanie found a treehouse in a tree in Georgia, and that's where she wants to go. (laughs) You can take the woman out of Lyman, but you can't take Lyman out of the woman. (laughs) I'm thankful for my Proverbs 31 wife and mother. I'm thankful for those of you who are friends and teachers and played on the softball team for your investment in her life and for how Lowry and Candy raised Melanie. The kids and I, we're reaping all the benefits. She's, she's amazing, and what a, an adventure we've had. We have seven children. We have two grandsons, a grandson on the way, and our life has just been a, such an adventure. You're in Matthew 7, verse 24 through 27. We're going to talk about the storms of life this morning. Hear the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two men, they both heard the word of God. One obeyed, one either rejected the word of God or neglected the word of God. But if you'll notice in this story, the storms of life came to both men. Jesus said that it rains on the just and the unjust alike. In Ecclesiastes, it says there are just ebbs and flows and seasons. There's a time for war, a time for peace. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. The older I get, the more I realize you cannot go from the grave You can't go from the cradle to the grave without some disappointment and some heartaches and some bumps in the road. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, storms of life. But know that there's victory in the valley, that we can triumph over trouble. You have these verses where uh, if you read the Bible in context, you'll see that throughout Scripture, men and women with great faith still endured hardship and suffering. Some faced jeers and floggings while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and lived in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Hebrews 11, verse 36 through 39. I believe in the promises of God. I believe in his blessing, his anointing. He's a healer. He's a miracle worker. He gives breakthroughs. And in our life personally, we've had more good times than ever uh, hard times. The windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror. But along the way, uh, you know, People say with the prosperity gospel, name it, claim it. If you just have enough faith, it'll be being a Christian, it'll be a cakewalk, and you'll never have a bad day. That's not honest. That's not true. If you read the Bible in context, you see people like this from, from the Apostle Paul, who I know we can all agree that he was in the center of God's will. And he talked about how he said, these are the words of the Apostle Paul, who the Lord used to write most of the New Testament. And he said, I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That from 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 28. Are you telling me the apostle Paul, who God used, the Holy Spirit used him to write most of the New Testament? Surely he had faith. Surely he was in the center of of God's will. And he suffered and he went through these difficulties? I'm convinced it's not a question of if, but when the storms of life will come. No matter your gender, color, or age, the storms of life are inevitable. 
We're all candidates, but there's good news. You can triumph over trouble. There's victory in the valley. Jesus said, in this world, we will face trouble, but he has overcome the world, and you can be an overcomer. And there are actually lessons to learn from the storm. If you'll allow me this morning, I'd like to share a, a lot of testimony. When Melanie and I married, I shared our love story. We have a wonderful church home like Michael Memorial, good friends, awesome children, a great um, job, ministry, and our life was marked by travel and adventure and fun and excitement. And our close friends said, man, you guys just have a charmed life. We actually built a cabin on the lake. We did most of the work ourselves. Later, we bought a farm, and we had horses and cattle. And from the time we married through most of our marriage, it was just smooth sailing. And uh, we didn't even hardly have a bump in the road until 2008. 2008, Melanie's dad, Lowry, many of you remember when he was on staff here, larger than life, uh, such a big sense of humor, and just an amazing, amazing man. And he found out he had cancer, and shortly thereafter, he passed away March the 14th, 2008. Well, Melanie's a daddy's girl. He had such an impact on this church and this community, on well, everybody. Nobody ever met Lowry Anderson and forgot him. When he would leave a room, he would leave awake. He had that big of a personality, and he loved the Word, and he loved the Lord. And so when Lowry passed, it was so devastating to Melanie and the entire family. Well, that happened, as I mentioned, March the 14th, 2008. One week later, Melanie had a miscarriage. Those of you ladies who have suffered and uh, sadly had a miscarriage, you know the pain that, that goes with that. So connect these dots. Melanie's dad dies. One week later, she has a miscarriage. Fast forward that same year on Labor Day, we'd bought a farm. As I mentioned, we had horses and cattle. I asked Melanie, hey, how long before supper's ready? She said, okay, I've got enough time. I was going to saddle up one of our quarter horses and go for a ride. I always had my phone on me, but I didn't. I saddled up the quarter horse, started to ride. It this was very uncharacteristic. It just went crazy, and it started bucking where all four hooves were off the ground. It was like this high off the ground, and I've ridden horses my whole life, so I was okay with the impromptu rodeo until it went over a bluff, and when the horse went over a bluff, it felt like I was just snapped in two. I didn't know if my back just got broken half, but the pain was so blinding. I said, well, I got to get off this horse. I dove off the horse like Superman. I hit the ground, When I hit the ground, I broke my shoulder in two places. I broke five ribs, broke my tailbone, damaged my bladder, collapsed my lung, and had massive internal bleeding. Other than that, I was okay. (laughs) And let me, oh, and the pain that I initially felt, and this is going to make you men cringe, what happened, I came down on the saddle horn when I went over the bluff, and the saddle horn drove everything inside and broke my pelvis open. My pelvis was broken, everything was pushed inside, and all those other injuries. I'm going to take a little detour and just say this. I get, a lot of, I get an opportunity to crisscross the country and travel a lot. And obviously, I survived the horse wreck. But the number one question that people came up and asked, they said, hey, i got to ask you one question about that horseback riding accident. They said, 
what did you do with the horse? And city after city, state after state, that honestly was the number one question. I thought, man, you're not going to ask if I walk with a, with a limp or, you know. But they all want to know, what did you, you do with the horse? I guess they thought with all that damage, there's no way I'd be able to sell it, much less give it away. Would you believe two men bid against each other to buy that horse? They wanted to give it to their mother-in-law. Okay, I'm, I'm kidding about the bidding war, but to, and I've got a wonderful mother-in-law. Will you please mark the tape and say, I've got a wonderful mother-in-law, put an asterisk by that. Uh, the bidding, I was joking about the bidding war, but 2008 was not a laughing matter for us. And you moms, you wives, you know, people say with what I went through, man, you're like Job. No, the real Job in our family is my wife. Her daddy died. She lost a baby, and her husband almost died in the same year. Listen, I was in the hospital for 49 days, seven days in intensive care. And when the doctor came in and told Melanie, if your husband survives the next um, 24 to 48 hours, she went, whoa, whoa, whoa. If he survives, it was a horseback riding accident. She was faithfully slipping that old uncomfortable thing right by the bed every night for 49 days and had to coordinate with nurses and doctors and, and be mom and dad and all the rest. So what an amazing Proverbs 31, wife and mother. 2008, we had just sailed through, charmed life, never had a ripple, never had a bump in the road to speak of. And then at the end of 2008, we huddled up as a family. We literally said out loud, whew, the worst is behind us. There is nothing that could ever happen in our life to compare with what happened in 2008. Little did we know, in 2009, I just returned from Denver, been four or five days in Denver. I was missing Melanie, and the kids were a close-knit family. As I mentioned, we'd bought a farm. We had horses and cattle, and I came home, and I sent her to town. She went reluctantly, and I played with the girls. And then at the time, we had three little girls and one little boy. Our son, Cooper, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, smart, athletic, loved Jesus. And when you have one of something, there's just an extra bond, you know, if you have only one daughter or one son. And so anytime I walked out the door, Coop would put on his little red rubber boots. And if I was feeding hay to the cattle, he's right there. If we went fishing, if I walked out the door to just do anything, he'd get in the truck and go to the store. You wouldn't see one of us without seeing the other. He was my buddy. He was my best friend. He was my only son. So I just returned from Denver played with the girls a little bit, and Coop and I got in a dune buggy. We bought this dune buggy for the safety. It was very low to the ground. It had a full roll cage. It had padded sidebars. He was buckled in. I wasn't. We rode up and down the dirt lane on our farm. The wind was in our hair. The sky was blue. The weekend was here. All was right in our world, and a a father and a son making memories, a daddy and his boy just having fun, and then then after we rode, we were going to head back to the house and and I was going to do what we always called a donut. I was just going to turn the wheel and floor it and spin around and head back to the house. I pulled into the pasture. I floored it. Dune buggy spun around, and then something went terribly wrong, and the dune buggy rolled over. When I hit the ground, I wasn't buckled in. He was. Five-year-old, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, sweet, sweet boy. 
Well, my first thought when I hit the ground, it's funny how you can remember with such vivid detail, but when I hit the ground, my very first thought was, oh man, I hope I didn't put a scratch on him. If he has to get t- stitches or if I broke his little arm and he has to wear a cast, I'd just, I'd just never forgive myself. He was my best friend. He was my, my only son. He was my buddy. And the dune buggy was laying on its side and I went to the dune buggy. He was still buckled in. And in that rollover, just a freak accident, it broke his little neck. And on July the 17th, 2009, my only son died in my arms. This morning, I don't have the words to explain the horror and the shock and the grief and the numbness. How does something this catastrophic happen in the blink of an eye? And all that you can imagine, let me put it into context. Friday afternoon, all was right in our world after a rough 2008. But Friday afternoon, all was well. And a daddy and his boy making memories, as I mentioned, a father and a son having fun together. That was Friday afternoon, Friday evening. Saturday mid-morning, we were at the funeral home. And the funeral director was saying, which one of these caskets do you want to pick out for your little boy? All those words that you're thinking surreal or this has got to be a terrible nightmare. We're going to wake up and everything's going to be like it, like it should be. And we did, as you imagine, the shoulder-shaking sobs and all we could do to put one foot in front of the other. It's every parent's worst nightmare. Well, think of this. A woman's husband dies. She's called a widow. A little child's parents die. They're called an orphan. Have you thought about this? There's not even a name for parents who have lost a child. It's so horrific. It's so out of order. It's not natural. We're not supposed to outlive our children. But God is faithful, and we're still standing, and his word is true, and his grace is sufficient. Listen, you can't go through uh, grieving the, the loss of a close loved one in your own strength. It requires supernatural help. And so we, we just clung to each other, and we just cried every single day, all day, all the things you could expect. We were just in a fog. And uh, we had our AFA leadership come, and they said, listen, just a couple of months after the accident, we've noticed that you haven't turned to drugs and alcohol. Um, you're not bitter or angry at God. You're still going to church. Your marriage is strong. We didn't realize that 89% of marriages fail when there's the death of a small child. Just round it up. You know, 90% of marriages fail. So when you hear of a death in the community, rally around that family. And they said, your story needs to be told if and when you can do this. We want to make a movie to let people know there's hope on the other side of tragedy. And they made this movie, Flame On. Dr. Dobson helped with this, Dr. David Jeremiah, the Kendrick brothers, and they said, number one, we want to give this away, not sell it, and number two, just let people know there's hope on the other side of tragedy. I brought one for each family. If you miss getting one of these, you can go to jjjasper.com and watch it online, or if you know somebody that's lost a parent or grandparent and they're they're trying to grieve well, uh, it's right there on the homepage. But, and you know what, let me stop right here. Uh, I, this is for somebody, and I, I don't have this in my notes, and I rarely share this, but my grandfather was an alcoholic and a barroom brawler and a gambler. My dad, his son, 
alcoholic, same story, gambler, uh, barroom brawler, womanizer. My brother and I were on that same path, my only brother. And we were drinking and we were smoking pot and we were running with the wrong group of friends. The only difference between me and my brother, I said yes to Jesus. And he said, not today. I will. One day I'll get right with God. One day I'll get in right relationship with my maker, with my creator. But I want to sow my wild oats. I'm having too much fun. Fun. Dry heaves, throwing up, tickets, wrecking cars, getting put in jail. But my, my only brother, he actually got shot in a drunken altercation. And uh, when he was on the, emergency, uh, on the operating table, they lost him a couple times, revived him. They called my parents in. I don't know if Tony, you even know this story. And they said, your son, him getting shot is not the worst of his story, uh, worst of his problems. He's got late stage cirrhosis of the liver. And if he doesn't quit drinking, he, he'll be dead in six months to a year. And my brother did not quit drinking and died of cirrhosis of the liver. He had drug and alcohol addiction. So I don't know if you're connecting those dots. My granddad was an alcoholic. My dad was an alcoholic. My only brother died of cirrhosis of the liver. And here I am. It was my idea to buy the farm. It was my idea to buy the tomb buggy. I I was doing the driving and held my only son in my arms. How easy do you think it would have been for me to make wrong choices and plunge over the cliff? That's it. That's how, that's how big God is. That's resurrection power. That's what Jesus came to do, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He never, ever sinned. And on the third day, the grave couldn't hold him. He exploded out of that tomb. And resurrection power is there to help you with relationships, help you with your finances, to deal with things at work, at school, rebellious teens, whatever struggles you're going through. We need Jesus. And he's available, the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit's own name is actually Comforter. And the Holy Spirit can comfort you in a way that no man can. How easy do you think it would have been for me? to just take a fifth of Jack Daniels and go sit on a hill and say, I know how to make this pain go away temporarily and immediately and only by the, only by the grace of God. <laughs> I'm not that strong. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life. The devil hates you, and he wants to ruin your testimony and ruin your life. And I wonder if he is off on the sidelines going, boy, I can shut that guy up now. He's on national radio, a cheerleader for Jesus. And now that this has happened on my watch with me doing the driving, I know how to just ruin his life. And there's a time or two that it was just within a whisker that I didn't make those wrong decisions, but it was just by the grace of God. I wish I could take the credit, but it's how big our God is and the blood of Jesus and the, and the cross and the empty tomb and about having a personal relationship with our living Lord. It's not religion. It's, it's a personal relationship, knowing God and believing his word. So, and I think that was for somebody this morning. So we learned a lot of things through the tragedy. There's so much I could say, but I want to just rush through 10 things that we learned with the accident. Number one, life is precious, but it's also fragile. We learned how quickly life can completely change, and we need not live in fear, but strive to make every moment count because it's true what they say. You never know when's going to be your last opportunity to say I love you to someone you care about. 
And we told our friends after the accident, turn off the TV, get down on the floor and play with your children, play with your grandchildren, relish these relationships that God has trusted us with. The second thing we learned was humility. When something catastrophic happens, we realize how little we are in control of. We were completely humbled and overwhelmed by the death of our young son. And sometimes it takes something drastic to stop us in our tracks, help us prioritize, and make a course correction. We were also genuinely humbled by the love and outpouring of support of others in our time of need. We learned about the power of prayer. Now, when I say learned, most of these things we knew. And I think it was C.S. Lewis that said we need to be reminded more often than we need to be taught. So we were reminded about the power of prayer. God hears and answers prayers. When we were too weak or depressed to pray for ourselves, we knew others were praying for us, and it was as if we could literally feel the prayers being offered up for us. Prayer is the difference maker. And I heard someone say, whatever you're not praying about, whatever you're not praying about, you're trying to do on your own. We also learned about the power of God's Word. The Bible is the greatest book that has ever been written. Tony was talking about this. It's the inerrant, infallible Word of God. It's God-breathed. We talk to God through prayer. That's all prayer is, talking to God. And He speaks to us through the Bible. He'll give you wisdom and strength and boldness. He'll lead God and direct you if you'll open your Bible every way, every day and allow him to communicate. He'll reveal himself to you. Listen, this, he's not a myth or a fable or a fairy tale. Jesus is real. He's really, really real. And you can know him. You can have a per, close personal relationship with him. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to get involved in your life. Jesus is a life changer. He changed my life and he changed Melanie's life. And that's how we were able to stand on our darkest day is through Jesus. Jesus is the hero of our story and he can be the hero of your story no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. It's not being a good person. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not even religion. It's a relationship, a relationship with our living Lord that you realize your need for God, humble yourself, repent of your sins, and receive Jesus Christ into your heart and life by faith. So, The thing that helped us most was we sat at the kitchen table and we read our Bible every night. And I think it was Dr. David Jeremiah that said Psalm 23 is the most tear-stained passage in the Bible. We got so much comfort. And as God would reveal itself through the Bible, it just helped more than I can put into words. Five, we learned about the importance of the body of Christ. We saw the church in action from small gestures of kindness to larger ones. And every card, every meal, every thoughtful act made a difference and had an impact in our time of suffering. I'm so impressed with Michael Memorial. It's been years since I've been here, but the D groups and all the ways that you love each other and care for each other. Tony and I were over just yesterday to see Colby and, and Haley. And before we left, people came over to help them get their garden started. And this is a wonderful Christ-centered community of believers. Number six, we learned about the sovereignty of God. He is the potter. We are the clay. He is the shepherd. We are the sheep. God has a purpose and a plan, and even our darkest day 
did not catch him by surprise. Do we have questions? <laughs> Absolutely. Questions that probably won't be answered till we get to heaven. Did we experience bitterness and anger and doubt? Of course, we're human. But God never, ever said, oops. And he never said, oh, I'm, my bad. This, this happened. This fell through the cracks. I, I'm sorry. I didn't see this. I was over here doing this or doing that. God's perfect, and he makes no mistake, and he's sovereign. And even your darkest day did not catch God by surprise. And thinking about God being sovereign, I hope God will navigate you and navigate me to the center of his will where we're able to say this and pray this, not my will, but thy will be done. Number seven, we learned about the provision of God. God provided a sacrifice for Abraham on Mount Moriah and ravens to feed Elijah by the brook. He provided a cruise of oil for the widow and an ark for Noah and his family. And he promises to supply all your needs. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 19. His grace is sufficient. And we discovered that even during a storm, God is faithful and he'll give you exactly what you need, precisely when you need it. We learned about the peace of God. Do not be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. And Melanie would often say that it felt like she took a warm blanket out of the dryer and wrapped herself up in it. And it was just uncanny to think that we often sensed a sweet peace that transcended our understanding and can only be explained as coming from God. We experienced that paradox of having a perfect peace, even though everything around us was dark and brutal and cruel, and we just would often feel the, the peace that comes from God. We experienced his presence, number nine. God led the Israelites with a fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. He was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. You remember that story? They said, wait, whoa, we put three people in the furnace, but we see a fourth man likened to, into the Son of God. He was with Joseph in the pit. He was with Daniel in the lion's den. And if you're struggling, if you're hurting in any way, if you're struggling with your finances or your health or relationship or rebellious teens or our grandchildren, if you've been through a divorce or a death in the family, listen, we know we're not the only family to have suffered. If you've lost a loved one, I'm so very sorry for your loss. But he wants to be there for you. He wants to love you and help you and give you hope. And the Holy Spirit, the actual word means comforter. And God wants to, if you're hurting this morning, and I'm so sorry for your loss, but God wants to comfort you in a way that no man can. Will you allow him to gather you up in his big, strong arms and be there for you? And lastly, we were reminded that this world is not our home. Trials, troubles, and tragedy have a way of reminding us that we are sojourners. We're just pilgrims passing through. Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Therefore, we do not lose heart, 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. But our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. We're going to spend more time with Cooper than we ever did here on earth. And you'll get to spend more time with your grandparents and parents and loved ones, who's ever, whoever has gone ahead before you. But only if you know Jesus, only if you're in a right relationship with the Lord. Jesus said in the third chapter in John, unless a person is born again, they can't go to heaven. He said, as I mentioned, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. You have to have a personal encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ where you realize your need for God, humble yourself, repent of your sins, and invite Jesus Christ into your heart and life by faith. He's a gentleman. He doesn't barge into anyone's life. In John 1.12, I think it says, as many as received him, those are the ones that were the sons of God. So I just want to plead with you, please don't try to make it on your own. Don't try to to especially as the storms of life will come. It's not a matter of if we're going to have a storm of life, it's when. If you have elderly grandparents, you know you're going to get that call. You know you're going to cross that bridge. And so often there's a death or tragedy and people shake their fist at God and say, I'm not going back to church. You said you were a loving God and, and you, you allowed my grandmother to, to die or whatever the situation is. And then people harden their heart and they get mad at God, and they make so many destructive decisions and plunge off into areas that are not healthy for them or the people around them. So I just wanted to, this, I didn't want to say a gloom and doom message this morning. I just want to say there's going to be some bumps in the road. There's going to be some valleys. It's inevitable. And so when that day happens, if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's not just going to church, checking a box, it's not just being a church member, it's not religion, it's a relationship. I know I keep saying that over and over, but that's what happened in my life. That's what happened to Melanie. And so many of us that we know are still standing after the storm. We built our house on the rock, hearing God's word and obeying God's word, not hearing his word and neglecting it, or rejecting it, or kicking that can down the road like my brother did, one day I'll get right with the Lord. One day, but first I want to sow my wild oats. I want to have all my fun. Then I'll get right with God. I just want to plead with you. I'm not a preacher. I'm not an evangelist. Please give Jesus a chance. That's all he asks, that you give him a chance. Surrender to him. Scoot over. You be the co-pilot, and let him be the pilot. And watch what joy and mercy and peace that he can pour into your life. And then when the storm comes, you'll be able to stand like the one Jesus was talking about. The storm came, the winds, the floods, after it went by, the one who built his house, his life on the rock, knowing God's word, obedience to God's word, a relationship with God, he was still standing. The other one that built their house on sand, uh, neglecting, rejecting the word of God, um, if you're living for how much money you make, what a lousy way to keep score. Your 401k, your health, your good looks, your, your job, the things you wake up for that thrill you, your entertainment, sports, whatever it is you're passionate about. If you're living your life and receiving your joy and direction from anything but Jesus, when that storm comes, it's going to be shifting sand. And Jesus said when the storm went by, it was scorched earth. There was nothing left. 
please don't try to do it in your own strength. In Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, I believe it is, lean, to trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Please don't try to go it alone. Please don't try to do it in your own strength because you're going to get that call. And if you know Jesus, if you love the word of God, the ways of God, you'll, you'll be standing when the storm passes. So I just want to remind you, if, if we place our trust in Christ, we have the assurance from the Bible that heaven will be our home. One day we'll be safely home and rejoicing in the promises we have in Revelation 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I'm a radio guy, and I love music. I want to share some words from Laura's story, and then, Tony, if you'll come back up. Thank you for this wonderful privilege to be here. Thank you for those of you that prayed for us when we lost our son. Again, I know we're not the only family that suffered, but we just are so grateful, beyond grateful, and we're going to get to see Coop again because of the grace of God, and uh, oh, what a reunion, but Laura Story wrote this song, Blessings, very popular several years ago. We pray for blessings. We pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? We pray for wisdom, your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love as if every promise from your word is not enough. And all the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win... We know that the pain reminds this heart that this is not our home. This is not our home. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst that this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights, are your blessings in disguise? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, JJ, the, the band, you come, that we're going to have a time of response. And, uh, but before we get to that, I just want to say a couple things. I, I know that 
A shepherd's heart, this is what is in my heart. When I, I, I know, I, I live that story with them. And I, I know what's going through a lot of your minds right now. Some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't want to hear that. And I don't want to think about that. And I don't want to. And, and, and your response to the fact that this is a broken world filled with broken people. We're surrounded by broken things. And it's going to be constantly filled with broken circumstances. And your response to that is fear. To respond and say, I'm, I'm just afraid of that. That makes me afraid. And I just want you to understand something. We're, of course you're afraid. And of course that's scary. And of course it's not comfortable. But it is true. And what is being afraid going to do? What is it going to change? But let me tell you what will change. Is instead of being afraid, if you can be assured. If you can push afraid out and you can bring assured in. That I don't know what tomorrow holds and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. But here's what I do know. I'm not going alone. I'm assured that I'm not walking through it alone. Because I know that the Bible's true because of what I've seen God do in my life and what I've seen him do in other people's lives. And so when you hear a testimony like that and when you think about your own life and your own response, I want you to think, not afraid, but assured. What am I assured of? God, I need you. I need you. I need you. Because only a fool would think that, would, would hear that and think, I can... I'll figure it out. I'll get through it. I'll. No, you won't. No, you won't. Take it from someone whose whole life is walking through pain with people. No, you won't. But the most glorious things that I get to see is the God of the universe working in ordinary men and women's lives. He wants to do that for you. So don't. Don't live another moment without some assurance. We're going to open this altar. If you want to come and kneel at the altar and just say, God, thank you for reminding me. Thank you.